2: Welcome in, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. What's going on with Wall Street is kind of like my daily exercise for you to figure out the stories to tell, so to speak. The thing you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Uh, insurance, investments, commodities. I'm going to do a whole hour dedicated to commodities soon, because I think that's an area that we could both learn from on the fundamentals as well as the investment sides of it. What's it telling you and why, so to speak? Um, With that said, market's kind of rolling over. You know when you get a new puppy and you're trying to teach them tricks? Twirl, sit, shake, all that kind of (laughs) stuff. Trying to teach this market to roll over. It's rolling over. Good puppy. Let's see your buddy. Um, Treasury market and the 10-year treasury. Uh, Yesterday... The banks were closed. And because of that, it created a situation where we're like, wonder what things are going to be like today. And uh, again, we're paying attention to it pretty intelligently, I would like to say. Um, The 10-year treasury, obviously, is a cost of borrowing money. And as the cost of borrowing money goes more expensive or less expensive, less expensive, it can create an, an economy that gets heated because you can take more risks as banks to lend money. As it gets becomes more conservative, and uh, you can see that fewer risks are taken, and that's kind of the simple math of it. The ten-year Treasury is ticking ever so slightly lower, sitting at three point two two percent, after having quite the cavalry charge last week into the the battle market, so to speak. Um, not a major move today, but the persistence of a major move has proven unsettling to Wall Street. And Again, it's just the cost of money, right? Wrong. It's it's what sort of valuation you give in a cheap cost of money. What sort of valuation do you give in a high cost of money? So there's been some weakness recently. There's been a sell-off in high quality value growth, uh, high quality growth stocks. I don't want to say value, but you've seen mega cap names like Amazon and Apple uh, pull back on the growth side. But even the value names, and some of the semiconductor names and uh, some of the other names out there are, are struggling right now. And again, maybe not today, but the recent trend. And today's a bit of a bounce back, to be quite honest with you. And we'll see if it's it a dead cat bounce or a, or a technical bounce back to all-time highs. Third quarter earnings season warning from chemical maker PPG plays into concerns that the economy is hitting, it's already hit its growth company's warning was attributed to various factors that are the heart of concerns about economic activity and rising interest rates. The third quarter reporting period begins basically this week, uh, Friday. It's very much so in earnest because third quarter earnings season typically takes about three weeks to go through all the earnings seasons, and you tend to see uh, like big tech names are in the second week, and then you see more growthy tech names in the third week. First week is a lot of the old fashioned good old American companies. JP Morgan Chase City Group and Wells Fargo will give us a pretty good read going into the weekend on borrowing costs. You got Delta Airlines reporting its results before they open on Thursday. American Airlines for its part said this morning that it expects total revenue per available seat to be up approximately two to three uh, percent, versus previous guidance of one to three. Guidance is funny because it's well managed. Um, elsewhere out there, another hurricane is taking aim now this time in panhandle of Florida. So water tarps, generators, plywood, sandbags, flashlights, all being stockpiled. The home Depot, the Lowe's obviously doing well on this kind of news. Uh, Genovac for generators. We just went through one of the big hurricanes in the Carolinas. We talked about all the investments there. So that's already out there. Papa John's may be up for sale. Really? Hopefully it's uh, not done by the slice, you know what I'm saying? So Tryon Fund Management, they are a big owner of Wendy's. And they are to be said in talks of talking to Papa John's. So Papa John's rose as much as 16% on the news. It's been exploring a sale after the company took a hit when John Shatner's controversial comments on a conference call came into light in, uh, back in July. And Papa John's has had a little bit of a rocky relationship. You might remember John Shatner also got, you know, he blamed the NFL and the flag situation. Whether you kneel or stand on one of the reasons Papa John's was sliding in sales. Um, And his image has been scrubbed from Papa John's. Just so you know, if you ever think that, like, you are important you can get scrubbed out pretty quickly, especially if you're a volunteer. (laughs) So Papa John soars on report of a Wendy's takeover. That's an okay story. Snap is in the news today. Oh, snap. Why are they in the news? It's not good news. Is any news good news? No. This is bad news. Snap is quickly running out of money. That's bad news. When you see a headline that says, Snap is quickly running out of money, that's not good news, it's bad news, and bad news is not good news, bad news is bad news. So, one analyst kind of looked at what CEO Evan Spiegel said. Evan Spiegel sent out a memo not too long ago and said, you know, our goal is to be profitable in 2019, but the company's quickly running out of money and may need to raise capital. So, I'm not buying the stock, running out of money. Tells you that they're burning cash. Think of taking a rake and throwing it into a barrel of a rake of and, and raking up cash and throwing it into a barrel, a flaming barrel, right? It's not going to end well. So Snap's not going to reach profitability in the near future unless there's substantial expense reductions. When they went public, they're like, uh, We do not need the Silicon Valley. We will do our business in LA. And maybe they should have done Silicon Valley because doing business in L.A. was, A, expensive to set up on the beach. And their campus is like 25 football fields. It uh, doesn't quite work as well as some of the campuses in the Bay Area. So stop running out of money. Now, that may be something to interest you. But I don't go after that. Nobody wins in a situation where they're going to increase the number of shares to raise money. So the current shareholders get... Um, diluted. They're going to run out of money. That's not good in business. Um, and I have a CEO who's basically like Elon Musk saying, we're going to hit this target. So I think the next thing you're going to see out of the company is, in my guess, they're going to start letting go some employees. So Google got exposed. And when they got exposed, it, ex- it was known that they exposed user data. Great and Google, Gu- in Google, Plus. remember that it didn't last very long. We're going to compete. Google opted to not disclose its users uh, to let users know it's th- that a bug gave an outside developer's access to private data. It said it found no evidence of misuse, but it also says that they didn't want to tell people because they were afraid the stock would get hit. Um, so this was a 2011 challenge to Facebook and it was a failure, Google plus, but Google plus profile data was exposed and, uh, it just seems like, come on guys, Facebook just got into this problem two weeks ago. You're killing me. If you don't want the government to get involved in regulations, you are killing me. Little Pete Gabriel, I'm Rob Black taking us a break. We'll be right back. Rob Black, any money?
1: sense of your portfolio. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW.
2: I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Pick the phone, give me a call, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. So Google exposing user data and fear and repercussions, I think, is a story that deserves another just a second. With Facebook in trouble for exposing user data and Google exposed in trouble for uh, exposure for, uh, data, and you've seen Home Depot and Target, and you've seen companies come out in the past, and they don't really want to tell anyone. You know, one of the the, the major credit bureaus made a massive mistake... Equifax and expose your data. Your data's out there. Your Social Security is out there. Your old passwords are out there. Um, everyone should change their passwords on a pretty regular basis. Yesterday was my birthday. The day after my birthday, I look at all my insurance comp- all my insurance relationships. I look at whether it's um, good golly. Now I'm dropping it. USAA or Geico. Who's my homeowners? Who's my renters? Who's my health? Who's my? I look at it all, and I try to decide: Do I do I need more? Do I need less? Have I looked at this recently? It's the only way I remember to do it because looking at insurance is just hideous. So, but Google exposed user data and Facebook has exposed user data. Of course, you should change, change your Facebook. You should have something like the day after your birthday or the first day of months that end in R or the first day of months uh, of, of new seasons where you change your passwords. I know it's a lot of work. I know, but uh, um, I'm, I'm fearful for Google and Facebook getting regulated because i live on the peninsula and my home value is soared because there's just not enough homes and what they are building are 400 500 square foot apartments so anyone who has a single family home like me kind of has a gold mine as long as google and facebook and apple continue to employ people so that's out there which is nice um Gosh, there's so much going on. Hurricane Michael is uh, picking up. I've got a brother named Michael. Don't use that in my password list, but I do have a brother named Michael. Michael Joseph. So crazy, eh? Whoa. Uh eight hundred five one six twelve twenty Each calls in the air. New York limo crash raises safety concerns. But also, even more importantly, to me it, it says make sure you get enough insurance to cover everything that you need to cover. Just in case you get into a limo. Not to go on a joyride, but just in case you get on a limo and, and are planning to go out, and something bad happens. And again, something bad's going to happen to someone today. And you're going to say, "I didn't, exp- I didn't see that coming." That's one of the reasons you need um, insurance because you don't see it coming, right? My fear is not getting into a car accident. My fear is getting into a car accident with like a van full of attorneys. I know you're saying. I get it. I get it. Don't go mean. Don't go dark, Black. Don't go dark, Mr. Black. Don't go dark. Uh, to raise a child in America, It's a cost an average of $230,000. Woo! Holy mackerel. High cost has caused parents to weigh financial decisions whether or not to have a child. In 1970, around 33% of parents said their finances played a role in becoming a parent. Today, it's 73%. So in 1970, it was just like, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And today, it's more like, I need to get a calculator out before I figure out the uh, averages of me having a child that's going to bankrupt me or not. But what's interesting about the newest survey that's coming out of Merrill Lynch is that raising kids is more expensive than ever. Duh. Um parents spend more money on their kids as they age because they feel pressured to. I know that feeling throw and throw. If you adjust for inflation, average weekly child care cost has increased from $84 in 1985 to $143 in 2011, um, and it continues to climb. Child care pre-college education comprises about 18% of the total cost for raising a kid. When you start factoring in college round kids, that two hundred and thirty thousand number for raising a kid goes up to five hundred thousand. Roughly. Um, for where you're gonna be eighteen years from now. Ninety four percent of parents say that they say ninety four percent of parents say it's worth every penny. I agree. Just know that it's a big cost and that like your clothing costs, your food costs, your technology costs, your entertainment costs, your school costs, your transportation costs, your sports costs all go up. And one of the things that parents say is that they feel pressure um, to keep up with, you know, getting their kids an iPad, so to speak, or a phone. And I get it. I get it. When all the kids are doing Fortnite dances, you almost like want to teach your kid Fortnite dances, <laughs> but not let them play the game. A, or is that being a jerk move by me? So, Awful Pizza Company, Papa John's, on line to be sold. Boy, that, that went bad quickly, huh? Airlines are scrapping change fees as Hurricane Michael blows towards the Florida ha- panhandle. Tesla's on prof a uh, path to profitability this year and could gain 70%. So it says one McGuire analyst. Housing stocks are in a bear market. Ah, this is interesting. This is meaty. Major home building and construction ETFs are in a bear market, down more than 20% from their earlier highs. Um, now, some say that, you know, this, the downdraft could be overdone, that we're overdoing it. Some people fear how higher interest rates are going to obviously be hitting multi-year highs right now, but... Changing the cost of buying a new home, making it much much more expensive. High end sales are doing more poorly than low end, and in some regions like California, have been harder hit than others. So, if housing stocks are going down, does that tell you that st- housing co- uh, the price of a house is going to go down? It might. It might. Affordability is now an issue for many potential homeowners. Home sales have gone sideways since the beginning of the year, and home price growth is now slowing in many of the markets that um, have been so much damaged by the high cost of homes. Some of the weakening is due to the tax effect in markets where the deduction was critical. So when you factor in the cost of um, your monthly fees, you know, the cost of keeping a, a building around, and then you get into your property taxes and then you get into the loss of deductibility after you get a certain threshold, Owning a home ain't what it used to be. Not in California, not in Connecticut, not in some states. So that's out there. Um, then you also get the tariffs blending in that margins on builders and suppliers are going to be impacted due to higher rates dragging on prices by higher labor and materials costs for builders because of tariffs on goods from China and elsewhere. A lot of the stuff that goes in your home comes from China. Um, and then you get into the labor issue and you see California and homes burning down and like. Getting a a construction worker ain't the easiest. Anyhow and anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show.
1: and questions are always welcome visit rob black online at robblack.com now back to rob black and your money on am 1220 kdow wall
2: street's not the easiest beast to predict sometimes the issues are pretty obvious but it gets wrapped up in a coil and it gets tighter and tighter and tighter and boom, something explodes, whether it be earnings or recognition or momentum um, or inflation. It, it's just sometimes we don't catch it. And it, it, we all saw the interest rate story developing. We all saw it, that the Federal Reserve was going to march rates higher. And it, it just it was kind of slowly happening, slowly happening. And boom, last week things changed. Let's bring on Patrick O'Hare to talk about how some things change and some things don't and some things stay the same. How are you, Mr. O'Hare?
3: Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. It's nice to be back with you.
2: It's good to be back. I'm um, good chatting. And, um, you know, I read your column every day at briefing.com. The page one is where I start. And you've been leading with the interest rate story and the cause and effect on the market. Bring us up to speed where you think we are with the interest rate story.
3: Well, I think you're, uh, you know, at an inflection point. Uh, right now, and and it's being reflected in lower stock prices. So you're seeing, um, you know, long-term rates break out of uh, what had been a pretty uh, a pretty solid trading range uh, that was tolerable and palatable for a lot of investors. Uh, but with this recent breakout, the uh, it's kind of been some cause for pause simply because it's it's happened so quickly, and and what that sharp spike in, in rates has done is that it has put equity investors on watch for, you know, continuation of that trend and has created some concern that you could see uh, you know, further thrust upward in rates that would you know, you know certainly act as a headwind for stock valuations and, and most likely economic growth. And so so I think it's get the market that's sort of reassessing matters here and, and is understanding that the rate dynamic is changing. There's a basis for higher rates. It's a good basis. You're getting good growth. You're seeing a pickup in inflation, uh, but I think the market is starting to be a little bit more concerned that perhaps the inflation pressures are going to come upon us as quickly as this most recent spike is spike did. Because I think that that sharp spike was a reflection of market participants' concerns that uh, that the inflation pressures are building are going to start to show up noticeably in the data in coming coming months.
2: Quick question. Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that the interest rates are a leading indicator because they've moved higher that inflation should follow? Um, Or do you think this could be one of those, um, not crying wolf, but kind of a, a a false breakout, so to speak?
3: Well, maybe you know, maybe the the rapidity of the move could be uh, a little bit of a false signal, but I think directionally, uh, you know, the treasury market is is on to something. Uh you're you certainly hearing more and more um you know, uh reports from corporate America about, you know, difficulties in finding qualified labor and how they're incurring higher input costs and are paying, you know, higher wages. You know, now granted, the, the wage pressure hasn't uh, necessarily shown up in spades in the average hourly earnings data that you get out of the employment situation report each month. Nonetheless, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that would suggest that you should start to see those wage pressures picking up, which is why this upcoming uh, earnings reporting period is really going to be interesting in terms of what we hear uh, for fourth quarter guidance and and what companies are saying about the the impact of increasing wage costs uh, on their bottom line and so so I think directionally the treasury market is signaling um, uh, is is offering a proper signal uh, because you should start to see higher inflation rates down the road uh, certainly if you see the continuation of these tariff actions uh, and if you continue to see labor markets remain quite tight and where it becomes quite difficult. Re- remains quite difficult to find that, that skilled labor that um, a lot of companies are looking
0: for.
2: So let's turn the page and stop talking about inflation and interest rates, because I do think that's a tough one for some people to wrap their heads around. Let's talk a little bit about earnings season. Um, the big boy banks, um, you mentioned today in your column, start earnings season late this week. J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo, the higher interest rates, it is believed, thought to help them out, but have they already made their move? And what do you expect out of the banks? And will they tell us that America is healthy? Or will they say that it's a little bit more conservative on the lending world?
3: Well, I think that you know, the banks will, will say some decent things in general: you know, that credit quality is still pretty good, um, you know, loan demand picked up. Uh, and, you know, and I think in the case of J.P. Morgan Chase, obviously, everyone's always um, watching closely to what uh, CEO Jamie Dimon has to say. Uh, he'll likely continue to, you know, reiterate that the outlook for the U.S. economy looks pretty solid, uh, but that there's risks out there that could could upend that. <clears throat> um, you know, particularly what's going on the trade war with China um, and the fact that. You know, you do have uh, some potential margin pressures that are that are starting to escalate. With you know, as I mentioned, not just higher wage costs, but you know, higher input costs as well. And so, uh, so I think it'll be one of those tones that's more maybe you know, cautiously optimistic as opposed to overtly optimistic, uh, like we've seen in recent quarters. And uh, you know, we'll have to see how the market takes that, but. Um, You know, but I think what's really going to be more impactful maybe out of this earnings season is is what you hear out of, you know, the industrial companies and what they're seeing in terms of end demand uh, internationally as well as domestically.
2: It's pretty interesting. Uh, One of the things I've been paying attention to is markets like China and Europe and China obviously is is pulled back aggressively. Their stocks are saying we're not terribly optimistic about the next six months. Europe has got issues now with Italy. It seems like the rest of the world's on the weaker side. Do you expect the rest of the world to pull us down? Or do you expect us to drag the rest of the world up with the United States? Um, And I don't even know if that's a fair question. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well I think the you know the the rest of the world can can pull the u s stock market down for for a bit, I think um okay. just because you get sort of this shock value from maybe a headline uh, you know abroad um, but I think you know when people take a step back, it's the u s that's going to lead the rest of the world um and so where our economy goes uh, the world's largest economy uh is is going to really have more of an impact uh, you know as it relates to how the U.S. market ultimately holds up, I think. So, it's not to say you can't get some uh, turbulence or some, you know, upsetting pullbacks for a bit uh, in the U.S. related to something that's happening abroad, but, uh, you know, the great equalizer, you know, would be, <clears throat> excuse me, would be, you know, what's happening here in the U.S. economy and, and uh, would be your kind of your focal point for whether you're going to buy on a dip or, or actually stick to the sidelines if there's a setback. So just kind of have to watch things carefully, you know, based on what unfolds.
2: Good stuff. Um, You write a couple columns for briefing.com. And again, it's been a trusted resource of mine for 15 plus years. Um, 20 plus years. I'm getting old. I just had my 50th, and I'm getting old. Uh, with that said, you have a big picture uh, column that comes out on Fridays. It's uh, If Monday through Friday your page ones are bullet shots, your big picture is obviously a, a, a much bigger scope. Uh, what are you working on right now that we should be aware of that you consider important for us to take a look at?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting because you're hearing right now uh, against this backdrop of rising interest rates that, you know, the stock market might be better off if you get bad news. Right? And the okay. thinking is that, you know, bad news would uh, would effectively keep the Federal Reserve from getting too aggressive with interest rate increases. And you know, the stock market right. likes low interest rates, relatively low interest rates, right? So, you know, you have this notion that, that good news is bad and that good economic news is bad bad news. Um, and I think, you know, the point to be drawn out in all of that, though, for particularly for a retail investor, is that you have to be careful about mistaking the stock market for the economy. You know, it's not always the case, because the stock market has a unique way of time uh, of looking at, uh, at things. Uh, and that's why when you hear that, you know bad economic news is good for the stock market uh, that doesn't translate well into the real world because you want good economic news in the real world because that leads to you know better wage growth and more spending and, and, and you know, higher standards of living and just frankly more enjoyment in life so so be careful about that uh, even though if you see stock prices rise on bad news um, let's be careful about how we interpret that as it relates to you know broader economic activity <laughs>
2: As we move towards the end of the year, are are you comfortable with what we've done on the stock market? Do you think there's more work to be done? Should we start looking for 2019? Because anytime you look at 2019 or anytime you look ahead, it it does feel, and I think it scares some people that they think we think we have crystal balls. Um, I have no clue where we're going at this point in time. I know we have capitalism. I know we've got low unemployment. That's good enough to get me to 2019, but... Gosh, I can't even imagine the stories that are going to unfold next year.
3: Right? You know, I mean, yeah. The, you know, this year's been been quite good for the stock market. And, you know, better than I think a lot of people even expected. Certainly at this juncture, you know, you're up about ten percent, uh, including dividends, which is which is a great return. Um, but the fact of the matter is, it's out there for everyone too. So, even granted the future's unpredictable, but the way estimates stand right now is that you are going to see a moderation in, and certainly in earnings growth, and uh, and you know and that could kind of slow things down, you know, lead to some more moderate returns for the equity market, all else equal. Um, You know, Stock prices are going to be driven by earnings over the long term, and even though earnings aren't going to be as strong next year as they were this year, if all else remains equal, um, you are going to continue to get modest earnings growth, which should then translate into you know modest uh, modest returns for the equity market. But obviously, there's variability around everything because the future is inherently unpredictable. So we'll take it as it comes, but uh, but that's the way things look right now. <laughs>
2: Thanks very much. You're awesome, as always. People can find you, Patrick O'Hare, at briefing.com. I start my day every day looking at his opening lines on the big picture and uh, in play. But there's so much more there. Earnings, calendars, headlines. Uh, You can follow your stocks and reports that come out on them, momentum plays, uh, scans for stocks to think about, value stocks, growth stocks, and much, much more. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.
1: Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220
0: KDOW.
2: I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing more. Should I hang my head long? A couple weeks ago, I work in television at a television station and you know, you have like big city parking lots. One of them was bought for two weeks and turned into a showroom for Audi. That's where they released their Etron, the Tesla Challenger, one of the most interesting bits of that glitzy launch. And it was glitzy. It was kind of weird to see a parking lot turned into a showroom. And then suddenly it's gone. Audi is turned in one of the most interesting twists in the oil industry of all time. Audi. Because the car maker has teamed up with Amazon.com to install home chargers for the Etron buyers. Oh boy. Amazon getting into the car industry, the energy industry. Amazon helping to get new plugs put into garages may not scream a revolution revolution. You say you want a revolution. It should still worry though. The likes of ExxonMobil. The oil industry has long been more concerned with generating supply than encouraging demand. And that's an interesting thought, because for years you talked about you know, peak oil, you talked about Exxon going out and grabbing more oil fields, and sometimes new oil fields would open up, and new discoveries would happen, and new countries would uh, say, oh, you could drill here, just give us some of the money. The hassle of charging has been one of the biggest things holding back electrical vehicles in the U.S., I was uh, kind of at a Best Buy recently, and there's the whole Tesla row and back where people can charge their batteries. I was a little bit of shock to see how many people were sitting in their cars reading magazines while their car was charging or watching videos. And maybe their wife or spouse was in the store shopping. It just felt like there was eight or nine people charging and waiting and waiting and waiting. And Amazon's entry... Into the charge at home should make things a lot easier, potentially representing a major threat to oil. Oil, as long as I can remember, the fossil fuel industry hasn't had a lot to worry about. You know, companies like Amazon encroaching on its territory doesn't seem right. Now, is Amazon going after oil? Back in 2008, 10 years ago, through the top five companies in the world. Were oil companies. Now, Apple has, not Apple, but Amazon has pulled rabbits out of its hat in a funny way. They're going to spend $14 billion on the grocery chain Whole Foods. And people are like, what? Now that they're taking a toehold into a new business, energy and transportation, um, it's a big oil worry. Hey, Alexa, can you charge my car? What if Alexa could place your Whole Foods order while you were on your way to the store or start charging your car when electricity price is lowest, right? Spending on upstream oil and gas development has declined by $308 billion since 2014. So why invest in reserves if demand for oil is going to falter? So oil companies, are. this could create a problem if oil demand doesn't falter. But 10 years ago, we were using the phrase peak oil, and that referred to supply. Now it's often talked about peak demand, a much less cheery prospect for the fossil fuel industry. Big oil meeting big tech and Amazon getting in is, is to me, fascinating. Again, did we see Amazon getting into oil and transportation or energy and transportation? And the idea that you could have your car plugged in at home charging and Amazon's like, wait, 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 wait. Rates go down at midnight. Let's start then. Uh, big tech is is doing it's doing it, yeah, baby. I like that story. I like that idea. I like that feeling. Um, and again, the whole Audi e-tron. Go check it out. Um, it's Audi. It's called the e-tron, which you know I don't like the name because it sounds like an e-cigarette, right? Kind of, maybe a little bit, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> e-tron e Etron, a battery-powered crossover that's due to hit showrooms later this year. Uh, Mercedes-Benz revealed its own electric crossover earlier this month BMW showed off another Tesla fighting concept. Uh, so it, people are taking note and trying to be the Tesla killer. Audi's first fully electric auto is going to be made in Brussels. I'm the man from I'm the muscles from Brussels, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme is Jean-Claude Van Damme. Who are you? I'm Jean-Claude Van Damme. So, the e is going to start at $74,800 and you'll get a $7,500 tax credit. Audi unveiled the E-Tron at the site of an old Ford plant in Richmond, California, across the bay from San Francisco. And really close to Tesla, 35 miles away from Fremont. I like that. So California is the biggest luxury auto market, so it makes a little bit of sense. Jerry Brown just hosted that Global Climate Action Summit. About 1,600 people attended the Audi show, including dealers, journalists, and others. So there is some interest in, in taking down big oil. Nikki Haley has resigned as Trump's UN ambassador, effective at the end of the year, I believe. As his loyal subordinates continue to leave. So, 800 516 1220, calls on the air. Um, Dick Beauvais, he's an influential bank analyst. He says if you own bank stocks, you should consider selling some of them. Um, interesting. According to Beauvais, the Federal Reserve's current rate hike po- policy will become detrimental to financials, particularly traditional banks. His latest thoughts come days after. Days before third quarter earnings kick off from JP Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, PNC, and Citigroup. So, higher interest rates should help banks, but he's saying they've already had their move. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black.